Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on a Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. We're so happy you joined us today. My name is Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Musset, and um, uh, Scott and I were just talking beforehand, and uh, we were talking about how um, the systems that we have in place to keep our lives organized when they break down, it gets crazy. And I don't know if you guys are experiencing this, but you know, it's even more so now that I'm at home that I mm-hmm. find my systems are needing to be in line. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you're face to face with your system at all moments. You, you have no, <laughs> no distraction from your systems. It's just you and your systems. It's just you and your systems making it happen, dude. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, so so Scott, he lost his headphone adapter, or it, his headphone adapter got legs, he should say, I should say. To some degree, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his little 11-year-old middle schooler legs, it got. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so not. So I, I got to give a disclaimer with the, with the headphone adapter thing. I would have been upset with my daughter for taking the headphone adapter except that last week or maybe two weeks ago i took her headphones because they're better than mine and i didn't ask her before i took them and then i broke them by accident no you did no i totally did so i can't i mean there are better headphones than mine and i was like oh Oh. man these are these are so comfy they're so soft on my ears and then i accidentally broke them so you know what it's it's the circle of life what goes around comes around yeah, that's actually, there's something weirdly poetic in that. I don't I know. know why. but That's like, why I was something... hesitating telling you that I was upset because I don't really have any right to be. So I, so I studied for the podcast today while ironing linens. Nice. That is the best. Well, I, yeah. I got more excited about that than I should have. <laughs> Somehow that seemed really good. Yeah, that no, seems it really was, right. It's, it's actually like Mary being in Nazareth, like ironing oh little baby Jesus' diapers or something. Or like, you know, like like cleaning St. Joseph's clothes or like washing those single piece tunic that Jesus has. That's weird. I think you should just stick with like, hey, Father Peter, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing Jesus's laundry, <laughs> which is what the altar linens are, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sort of. Totally Jesus's laundry. That's weird. Which, which is totally not a lead in, but at least it's a, uh, yeah, it's, a it. <laughs> it's a <laughs> movement not? towards the fourth Sunday of Easter. Why not? Ah, uh, the fourth <laughs> Sunday of Easter. Our first reading this fourth Sunday. So we, I think we're at the exact midpoint of the Easter season, I believe. Which yeah, makes uh, it, da 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 Good Shepherd Sunday, right? Which always comes uh, smack in the middle. I thought it was next Sunday was Good Shepherd Sunday. Well, this is the reading about the Good Shepherd, so. Yeah, I guess there's some Good Shepherd in it there. So yeah, our first <laughs> reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 14a, Wait, jumping did, to 3641. How did you just take the first reading from me? Because, oh, dude, you, you know, rat. All right. No, man, you you try every time to get. No. Now uh, you I try do. to Only sneak under. Now, now I'm hardcore, bro. Sneak under the sheep gate. So <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Who's, all right. Which one is doing it? The 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 shepherd or I'm pretty the sure flock? it's you. I'm pretty sure it's you. Our responsorial <laughs> psalm is coming from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd; there is nothing I shall want. Uh, verse one through three a. 3b4 and then 5 and 6. <laughs> this is why you hate doing the psalm. Uh the response well, itself it, is coming from verse 1. Well cuz cuz all mine says is Psalm 23 verses 1 through 6. So oh. it's like That's so I'm sick. like I, there's no strophication, strophification or something. I have the strophification on mine. 
and yep. it's confusing. Yep. Our um, second reading is from First Peter. Mm-hmm. That's not confusing at all. No. Second reading, First Peter. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, I get okay. it. I thought it was because you're Peter somehow. I didn't know where you were going. Ah, uh, First Peter, um, chapter two, verses twenty B to twenty-five. All righty, ready. Our gospel is from John, chapter ten, verses one through ten. Which is almost a palindrome, but not really. It, it is have to be not a palindrome. No. It would have to be verses ten, chapter verses one to o one, but and that that just doesn't work. Which of course it is not. <laughs> the reason why I wanted to be is because then it'd be chiastic, and then and then everybody would have more fun. It is fun. To, chiasms are fun. Acts, um, Acts chapter two. So we've been. Um, this is weird liturgically because we are. So last week we got. We're, the, the liturgy is just weirdly filling in all of the gaps of this strange framework of the Pentecost homily speech that Peter's been giving. So we're just getting different chunks of it every week, <laughs> always yeah. with with usually the same like opener, and then we jump to a different part of the speech itself, <laughs> which is right because we always get the chapter two verse fourteen, the first line. Then Peter stood up and said, and then it always changes what he said. It doesn't change what he said, but you know we get different chunks of it, which is fine. Um, so we're getting uh, kind of the we're getting the end of it this time. So the church is sort of um, presuming we've heard the rest of it that we heard the speech that he gave last week, which talked about oh what did he do? Oh, last week was the uh, he he was kind of giving commentary on that psalm about David and um, the promises that were made to David and how the promises God made to David for this everlasting kingdom are actually go beyond David, who, who you know, eventually died and corrupted and everything else, and it was really about Jesus. So he was giving this huge speech, and then we got to get the, the tail end of it this time. So again, we have, once again, I think for the third time, Peter stood up with the eleven, the other apostles. He raised his voice and he proclaimed, and then we jump like 30 verses, right? And he says, therefore, I, I like I like it. We get to the conclusion. Therefore, <laughs> without the, the, the other part of the argument. I know it's kind of funny. But again, we're it's, it's presuming that we already got this. Right. Yeah, I know. It, it just is really funny, funny. because because if you weren't paying attention, you, it, you would just totally not even acknowledge the fact that it says, OK, therefore, <laughs> three There's little something... dots in a triangle for symbolic logic people. Yeah. It's, okay, so this is this is interesting because I'm looking at it, and and really the the punchline of this is that three thousand were baptized in the day. Okay, that's so the he, punchline. Yeah. He goes and he says all of these uh, beautiful things about the apocalypsis and about you know I mean it was, there was this beautiful apocalyptic language and also like um, here what we you know like okay what you is mean the what we already that we're got. supposed to take yeah what we already got. And like, and then here he's like, okay, you know, he says, God is Lord and Messiah and this, whom you, this Jesus you crucified. And now they were cut to the heart and they said, what are we going to do? Yeah. Actually, you know, in the Greek, it literally says, show us, which I kind of, I kind of like, there's something really powerful about that line. So they asked mm. Peter and the apostles, show us, like literally what, show us what's next. What, what do we do about this? Um, but can I back up just a sec? Well, no, I, I guess it's not really backing up. No, no, it is. It is backing up a little bit. <laughs> There's just a couple, a couple of grammatical things that I, I kind of picked up because I, 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 again, I was going back to the Greek this morning and I just found some things really interesting. So again, Peter stood up. You know, he raised his voice. He he gives the whole speech, and the conclusion line. I mean, really, the 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 punchline of the story is the baptism. The punchline of his 
sermon or of his speech is this line, right? So, therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have now cruci- whom you have crucified. So, a handful of things, right? Number one, he, he puts it all on us as the crucifiers. He doesn't say, well, the Romans did it. Look at those terrible... I mean, so, what do I want to say here? Okay, two things. Let's just cut it down to that. Um, the whole house of Israel implies not just the Jewish people, but the whole of Old Testament Israel, which is much bigger than simply who are gathered in front of Peter at that moment, which is why later on he's going to say this promise, after he says to be baptized, he says this promise is made to you and to your children and to those who are far off. And the ones who are far off are the rest of the house of Israel, which over the course of salvation history has been scattered and has been destroyed and has been taken into exile and has been dispersed throughout the world. He's saying it's not just for us, it's for those of us who are also far off, which includes the Gentiles now, who have now been or are going to be incorporated into this whole plan. But he doesn't say, it's almost this antiquated term, like the whole house of Israel. He doesn't say, let us know, let our family know, let the Jews know, the entirety of the house of Israel, which is a very big prospect. Well, which is following the the project. Uh, I mean, if any of you have ever uh, done the um, Great Bible Timeline, then you know the the project. It's the Great Adventure Bible. Timeline. Great Adventure. <laughs> you know. What I had I'm a saying. friend who always called it the Great American Bagel Timeline. The, the Great, <laughs> the, the great Adventure <laughs> Timeline. The, the the Cave and Study, which is phenomenal. But one of mm-hmm. the things is that that we see is it starts where it starts with the Jews into Jerusalem, yeah. into Israel, and into the whole worldwide. So contained here within a seed is actually. This kind of worldwide project that is that that I actually because I have this funny meditation about like what's happening here. I think that Peter is the first one to get up. Okay, yeah, he's preaching and he's making it happen, and he says this, and I think that there's a lot of people there, and they're cut to the heart, and they're like, "Show us what to do." How long do you think it takes to baptize three thousand people? Well, if you have 12 baptizers, it cuts it down a little bit, but probably quite yeah. a while. Right. And so I actually think that they took turns afterwards just preaching to try to make, to, to give explanation. I'm wondering if Peter actually gave this speech a few times. See, I wonder, and I, I have no way of knowing this, with what you're saying, I've always wondered if, because we know that the, now Peter is who is recorded because he has primacy over the apostles. But we know that it says during when the Pentecost event happens, all the apostles were speaking tongues and saying things that all of the languages of the different hearers could understand, right? right. So there's a part of me that wonders if it's like one of those UN meetings where like Peter is actually talking and I always picture all the other apostles like simultaneously kind of giving the same thing in different languages that everyone's kind of catching it. I don't know if that's what's happening or not, but we do know that at Pentecost, you know, at that moment of Pentecost, all the apostles begin speaking in other tongues that other people can understand. So I always wonder if they're kind of all sort of giving the same parallel sermon, really. Peter's obviously takes primacy because it's what the one that's recorded, but that they're all sort of saying the same thing in different languages for all the hearers to be kind of hearing simultaneously. I don't know if I'm yeah. right on that, but it's an interesting thought. Well, or even just hearing it and then them taking the kind of core ideas that right, he's right. laying out and right. then 
and then getting up because if you're going to baptize yeah, 3000 right. people there's going to be all these other people who are gathering to look to yeah. say what are these people doing if if you got 12 people being baptized at once that you got a you got a real day ahead of you yeah. you got to make <laughs> you got a day you got to make sense of this and yeah. and there's for some reason I keep on imagining I don't know which apostle it is but one of them gets up to preach and just they're doing okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like oh. they got the content, you know what I'm oh, saying? And the, the Holy Spirit's <laughs> with them, but they kind of bonk on it, you know, oh, like, you know, it's James the lesser. <laughs> <laughs> and he's no, given testimony. He's given testimony, James the lesser, poor buddy. And then, but like, I th- I can even see them getting better throughout the day and getting more courage as people are responding, even if, as because the Holy Spirit takes our imperfections and turns them yeah. into grace. So I just have this Absolutely. such a weird picture of this day of them like tag team preaching. And then- <laughs> it's a weird day. Well, it's also just a weird day. I mean, I, I love trying to, to find the human ways to understand what on earth is happening. Because, yes, there is something miraculous going on here, obviously. But God always works the miraculous in the human. So, again, from a human point of view, like, how did this actually work? Like, what are the logistics? Like, what, how was that day? How exhausted were they at the end of it? You know, that's, that's a good Lexio exercise, you know, to try to actually picture, like, what, man, what did... Well, as, as you know, as you as a pastor, someone who baptizes, like, what would it be like to baptize, you know, 600 people or whatever your share of it was? It's crazy. But well, I do want to... Because oh, cool. oftentimes I think that the, the picture that I have is I'm looking at them on the Southern Temple steps. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tom Smith introduced me to this idea that the, the thought was is that um, that where where could you actually baptize, but at the mikvah baths, which of are Siloam. You know, pool of Siloam you could do, um, but but he but there's a potential to do. It was actually just on the southern steps of the temple itself, hmm. um, because you have all the mikvah. Isn't baths. that where the pool of Siloam was? Um, no, I thought it was further down the. I think it's third, f- further down the road actually. Just a little bit. It's not on the southern st- steps of the temple. Ah, my mistake. Yeah, that's. We'll get you to yeah. the Holy Land, dude. We'll get you there. It'll be fun, and then you'll learn all the geography. Well, I don't want to give be a spoiler, but there's not a temple there anymore. Spoiler alert. <laughs> One <laughs> stone has not been left upon another. Mm, that's true. Um, but okay, to, something that really does stick out to me about this, again, if we're putting it in very human terms of what's going on that day. Um, when Peter says, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Again, we're, we're so used, you know, those of us who are Christians, are, we're so used to those terms. We call Jesus Lord all the time. We call him Christ all the time. But those were those names, those titles being applied to him were actually pretty, pretty unique. Lord is a little more generic. A lot of people could be lords. It's a, it's a term of, um, of uh, it's an honorific term, like someone who is over you or has some authority over you in some way. But Christos, um, Messiah in Hebrew, Messiah, is pretty unmistakable. That's, that's a political term. Lord is a very honorific term, and Peter tends to, to unite that with um, the divinity of Jesus. But Christ is a political term, which means he is the emperor. He is the king. He is the one who's been anointed. And he says, you know this with certitude. This Jesus who you've crucified, he is the true emperor of the world, and he is the Lord to whom we give everything. And it says, when they heard this, they were, now cut to the heart is what you're going to hear in mass, um, stunned. There's lots of different translations. And I was, I was looking up the term, which is 
katanisomai. And katanisomai, um, if, you, if you try to kind of dig out katanisomai in the Septuagint, the way it sort of appears in the Old Testament Greek, it, that word can mean anything from the emotion of anger to being struck silent, to being stung, to being humbled, to being sorrowful or remorseful, to being angry, to being excited. It is katonisomai. I was really fascinated kind of digging through it because it's a really broad term. But I think the reason that Luke chooses to use that word is that he's trying to show how deeply the emotional response to conversion actually is. If we really give ourselves to Jesus, then yeah, there's, there's, there's going to be moments of anger. There's going to be moments of fear. There's going to be moments of awe. There's going to be moments of excitement, maybe remorse or grief over something we've left behind or, or lost because we're following this new path. And I love that that word actually captures all of these crazy emotions that the people are actually feeling that day which is what leads them to be like, uh, well, show us. Like, th this is too much. This is overwhelming. So now what? What do we do? And what Peter says, yes, he says be baptized. But before he says baptized, he says repent, which, again, we know the word repent. It's metanoio, met uh, metanoio in Greek, which we always think of as a spiritual term, right? For, for most of us, repentance is a theological term. But it's, in its original meaning, metanoia, was not a, it wasn't a spiritual thing. It was a physical, it was a, it was a directional thing. So literally he says, turn around or change your mind. And I, I'm struck by the, if you kind of put this together, if you're putting it in the, in the context of someone who is hearing all this stuff for the first time, and he's just made the argument that Jesus is Lord over us and he is the true emperor and king of the world, then their only response is, so change your minds. Change your minds from what? Turn around from what? what? What do you mean? He's not saying just repent of your sin. I mean, that's obviously a part of it. But the whole message of the gospel is there are a whole lot of people and powers and figures who are vying for our honor or our giving ourselves to, for us bowing down to worship or follow or let lead us. And all of the people, the tons of people who are gathered there at Pentecost are all of probably different political schools of thought of the Jewish people who are like, well, we want freedom from our oppressors. We want freedom from Rome. And here's this political leader or that would be Messiah or that would be prophet who was promising all of these things. And maybe I'll follow that guy. Or maybe I'm going to team up with the Pharisees. Or maybe, maybe Herod's the one we should kind of be following. Or maybe it's, you know, one of these revolutionary messiahs. We're going to follow and kind of see where those people lead. And Paul's like, no, change your minds right now. All of the people that you want to follow, all of the schools of thought, the political strains, all of the things that you think are going to free you, change your mind here and now because Jesus and Jesus alone is all of the things that you're looking for. So change your mind and be baptized to seal the deal. Which right. I was just kind of thinking about what that would, what he's actually saying to them and what people are actually hearing. Because I think mm -hmm. we hear this in a, in a, you know, very much a, a modern day theological 2000 years of hindsight sort of way without respect to exactly what they're hearing at that moment. What are we supposed to change our minds from? And it's the same thing for us. Yes, we're all called to repent of our sins, but we're also called to change our minds from all the things that demand our attention, all the things that we are, that we want to fear and have anxiety over or give our allegiance to. Peter's saying, no, give all of those things to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Change your mind on all that. I don't know, the, the translation of change your mind, I don't know, for some reason really stuck out to me this morning. 
Yeah, metanoia. I mean, it's and it's 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 not even just reconsider, repent, re rethink. It's actually yeah. um, have Turn your around. actions coordinated with what you live in integrity again. Like, mm. let what you are experiencing be a source of action for you, which is, which is sometimes that's actually a, a hard thing for us in an in an age of of radical information saturation is that yeah, yeah. what's happening is that I, I mean how many articles did you read uh, this morning about the news i don't know if you i don't know if you read the news in the morning i know i do and i yeah. and so I, I i've thought about a lot of things already just as i've started my day and i'm like yeah. oh wow it, it, did any of this change me do i you know it's it's almost like in an age where we talk about like fake news you say fake news it says basically information is dismissible if it doesn't actually fit within a narrative and we've got to try to protect from that so that we get real information that actually transforms i think that that's what people mean by things like that in in in, in a moment yeah. now which is yeah. which is like okay, so really reconsider your life. I, I like the fact that the um, uh, they were cut the the word that we were talking about the katanugasayan uh, or however you say katanisomai ganesan katagen yeah so nisomai you're giving roots that's actually that's slightly yeah, different right. from that um, but the um, well it's just conjugated in the text yeah but yeah yeah uh, which is. Um, uh, also, a translation for that is stupefy, just to let you know. <laughs> they were stupefied. Stupefy. I like that. Stupefy. So oh. <laughs> I just, I just think about awesome. that. Stupefication leads to uh, re metanoia. So Stupefication um, leads to metanoia. I like that. <laughs> it's like, so, oh, and to answer, to answer your question, I read the headlines on AP, and then I watched an episode of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood about sharing. That's been my media intake today. <laughs> so it balanced uh, itself out pretty well. Nice. I, I watched. Uh, I uh, I watched an episode of uh, Winter Garden Wednesdays, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a guy making this gigantic marble machine that plays music that he can program into on YouTube, and oh, it's totally nice. awesome. And then I read a bunch of uh, stuff about everybody like being mad at each other. So. Which is oh, which, which is what we call news nowadays, I think, is what we mm. call that. Hey, everybody's mad at each other, and they don't think that they're doing the right thing, so that they're exerting their will as strongly as they possibly can. And, and here's why you should be mad, too. Right, and then, I, and then you outraged, and then you go watch people make marble machines. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> I think more of us ought to do that. Uh, and then you go study the scriptures and then you say, you know, we, then you realize that you need a Psalm 23, that you need a shepherd, you know, because you do, because mm. honestly, like, I don't know if any of you have ever made an attempt to try to actually transform your life to, to do metanoia mm. um, and to actually have your actions coordinate with what your thoughts really are. But it's particularly difficult. Yeah, it is. It Well. Yeah, I'm trying to segue into the psalm with that line, but you just kind of, its that's a, that's a good standalone line that you just said. Hmm. Yeah. Well, but that, okay, okay I say that again, though, because, okay, maybe, maybe there is something here. Because it's also what you just said. So the definition that you're giving of metanoia to, to what is it, to integrate your thoughts with your actions? Something Let your like actions, so it's, it, if, if we're reason, so if we have both reason and will, then it's allowing your will to be in integrity with your reasons. So to okay. follow what you actually think. Okay. So if that's true, and I think that it is, um, 
if any of you have tried to live the spiritual life for any, any period of time, you quickly learn how absurdly hard that actually is to do. I mean, it's one thing to say it, and then five minutes later, I mean, we're, we're getting disintegrated again. I mean, that's just the nature of the spiritual life, that that is so hard. And so where the, the responsorial psalm comes in is that, well, we actually have been given the gift of a shepherd to shepherd us toward those things. So again, the, the, there's, there's, the, there's the mental aspect of metanoia, but in, the, in, the, in its most original formulation in the Greek language, it was just a directional word. It, it literally is a... It's a, it's a um, it's a geographic word, so it means to turn from one direction to another direction. And obviously that then later brings along with it the, the mental integration of the mind with the will. But originally it's just literally just turn that way. And what's the best way to be turned? Well, the, what, the, what the scriptures are saying is essentially we can't do that on our own. We need to be turned. And actually that, that was the last thing I wanted to say on the first reading, which I forgot, but it's a good segue into this. Um, he said... Yeah, it's at the, toward the tail end of our first reading. It says, He testified with many other arguments and with, as, was exhorting them, save yourself from this corrupt generation, which is a really lousy translation of that line. He says in the Greek, and the reason this is so important, he says, be saved or literally allow yourselves to be saved from this corrupt generation. It's very much in the passive tense in Greek. Peter doesn't stand up and say, all right, now everybody go out and save yourselves, which I think is a strange translation of that line. He says, well, he, repent, the, the, be baptized, well, and let yourself be saved. Well, this is the thing is that the word is, is he solemnly urged, um, dia martario, so, yeah. so through martario, so, so it's through martyrdom. So he's he. I mean, in a in a totally horrible translation, but but you, so it's saying solemnly urge. I am a living witness of all of this. Be saved from this crooked generation. I because I am one of you and that and and I'm going to use all of my logic and will to be able to urge you that this right. is the time. This is everything for me, everybody. But again, I think you could almost translate that differently. And again, I'm taking advantage of it. But he exhorted them as a witness to let yourselves be shepherded. In other words, away from this corrupt generation. That, this is, I think, the most, for me, the most explicit connection point is what he's saying is if you believe all this, if you're actually trying to integrate your mind and your will, if you're trying to turn from these things, give your allegiance to where it belongs, then allow yourself to be shepherded away from this corrupt generation and to the good shepherd, which almost raises this question that then the responsorial psalm answers. Oh, well, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, there is nothing I shall want. I can allow myself, not strictly by the pulling up of my bootstraps, but I can allow myself, I can say yes to the good shepherd integrating my mind with my will and actually allowing me to be the person that I want to be. But the only way to do that is through being shepherded. And I think that is sort of the capstone of what Paul is saying there. Which is, again, why it's a good segue into the responsorial psalm. And that's why the responsorial psalm says, there's nothing I need to want. I don't have to be stressed. In other words, I mean, you could also say that in a different way of just saying, there's nothing I need to be anxious about. Because that's what, you know, really the, the heart of the matter is. I, I've, I've, been, I've been reflecting on my own life and, and all of my own anxieties and fears 
And I've been trying to convince myself that every time I get anxious, which is all the time, and you know me, Father Peter, I'm the most anxious person ever. But all of my anxiety in some subtle way is not allowing myself to believe that God is actually in control of all of these things. That God right. is bigger than governments, that God is bigger than pandemics, that he's actually got all of these things in his control. And, you know, he might lead us to places that are dark and kind of dangerous and it could be a little bit difficult, but he actually is in control. So if the Lord really is our shepherd and our shepherd king, really, which is what Psalm 23 is about, then there's nothing we need to want and there's nothing we need to be anxious about and there's nothing we really need to fear. Because wanting, for me, is wanting to be out of anxiety, wanting to not be afraid, wanting to know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, wanting to know what the next step is and what I need to do, you know, to figure this thing out. But if we're allowing ourselves in a very passive way, but it's not a, there is a very, very, it's, it's a very courageous act to let yourself be passively shepherded. So it does take a lot of us and it takes all of Jesus to actually allow that to happen. Does that make any sense? Is that too abstract? No, no, it makes sense. Uh, I, I, my experience has uh, been, uh, I, I've been watching Lost. Um, mm. I've been re-watching <laughs> Lost. <laughs> nice. And um, and funny enough, last night, um, uh, uh, Charlie and Mr. Echo uh, actually recited the Psalm, Psalm 23 <laughs> as they were, wow. as they were, as they were had this like really, really intense moment um, uh, which I, I won't spoil if you've never actually watched the show, but it was it was beautiful because it's it's like that. It's like saying like, no, I'm actually going to recognize that things are out of my control, and then and, and it was actually really a recogni- mm. It was a moment of recognition in the show about the shepherding of God, and um, and 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 it's funny because after that, how how tempting it was for them to get caught in um in the narrative as 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 we all are to think that okay now i'm with god and so i everything's just pure and uh, i can just do anything versus <laughs> saying no no this is actually a perpetual state of surrender i surrender myself mm, he got right. he's the one who's going to guide me he's the one who's going to direct my will and he's going to be the one who takes me through the valley of the shadow of death and right. and he's going to be the one who sets me free from fear because if i'm close to him and and this is i mean I, this is like the lesson of the year is that if i stick close to him then i do a lot better and and my my anxiety and my neuroses don't get the better of me. In fact, and then right. i don't start listening to the bad voice the the, the voice of the tempter but rather I actually become one who's willing to, to be courageous and follow the, the Lord and to dwell in the house of the Lord. And then I see the mercy that's pursuing me and the goodness that's surrounding me. But if I yeah. don't, if I don't stick close to the Lord, if I don't let my, myself turn from my own solutions and have that metanoia, then I get all messy and I don't have the Lord as my shepherd. Yeah. I got my fear as my shepherd. Yes. Something is going to shepherd us, right? Right. Whether it's our own ego or our fears or anxiety or Jesus. We're going to be shepherded by something. Oh, wow. That's actually really, that's really powerful. My fear shepherds me. So, <laughs> so which is interesting because he, we, if, when we jump into First Peter, yeah. th- this, this whole idea, it was just funny. It says, what credit is there if you are patient when beaten for doing wrong? Like, what credit is there for you if you're patient um, if you're patient in casing a joint to steal everything, like what what's good in that? But if you're patient when you suffer for doing what is good, this is a grace. Like it's so, it's so funny because I love how 
radically practical that is. It's if I'm patient in trying to just implement my own willfulness, then I'm just the godfather. I'm just I'm just some sort of uh, willful underworld captain who's trying to make it happen. I'm just I'm using my ninjutsu for evil. I mean, and if and if if ninjutsu is there's no second chance when. Um, Kung Fu is used for evil is what I know. So like, so that's where the, where <laughs> first Peter <laughs> is. Tr- <laughs> that Amen, was actually, man. That's that it. was my, that was my senior quote in high school, dude. There's, There's no, no second, second chance when jujitsu Kung- is Kung Fu. When Kung Fu is used for evil. That's powerful. Just, I know, man, that's dude. <laughs> we just kept it real, man. Like that's it. So then, um, so then we've been called in God. Well, in, and, a, in other words, it's also saying it's not, you're not that heroic when you do something wrong and you accept your just punishment. Like, cool, you did something wrong and you should receive a consequence for it. Oh man, you allowed yourself to receive a consequence. How heroic of you. You know what I mean? Right. But what, it, what it's doing is saying, no, no, no. You need to actually conform. What does it mean to be shepherded by the good shepherd? It means to actually I th- I conform think th- yourself. I think somebody's receiving punishment for doing bad in the background. Uh, back there something's going I'm on saying. in the kitchen. Dude. Yeah, something's I, going on in the kitchen. It's I think it's got it got real, dude. It's like <laughs> I'm familiar with that scream. That is the scream of I really want to have this thing and I am not being permitted to have this thing. So what credit explicit. is there if you're patient for getting <laughs> your own willfulness? <laughs> yeah. This is it. Yeah. And and but again, but but he, what he's trying to get us to think of is Jesus was punished. He received a consequence for something that he did not do. Mm. And so what you are actually called to is not just to, you know, take your blows when they come and, and deal with it, but to be like Jesus, who was right. patient when he suffered for doing good, not when he did anything evil. He did, I mean, when somebody does something evil, you should get punished. When somebody does something good, you should not get punished. But the reality is he's saying, but you guys know in your experience that sometimes that happens. Some, why do bad things happen to good people, right? That whole question. He's like, well, that, that's been the perennial question of all of human history. And now Jesus actually gives you a lens through that, that you can actually unite yourself to him and have meaning behind bad things happening to good people because it's not, the world is not chaotic because there is a God who actually made it through that to the other side. And we can't forget that, you know, the whole context of First Peter, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, is this group of believers who are experiencing a kind of exile, right? They're experiencing this kind of diaspora. They're far from home, the, you know, the chosen ones who have been exiled and are far away. And I think it's not coincidental that the people who are geographically feeling cut off from their world are the ones being reminded about Jesus as shepherd because... Sometimes to be sort of in exile, and again, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to make everything about the pandemic, but again, you know, feeling we're all kind of quarantined and in exile makes you think, well, am I not being shepherded because I'm kind of here on my own? I'm out in the cold. I'm not with my people. I'm not with my flock anymore. And he's saying, no, even if you feel like you're kind of out in the cold and solo and alone, that just means you have to look a little harder you, the sheep who have gone astray are not those who are physically distant, but it's those who have been spiritually and morally allowed to be turned away and led by these other things, been shepherded away. You, even though you're physically in exile, he says to the community of 1 Peter, you are still being shepherded because he is the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And the good shepherd can go with you into exile, 
That's not a problem for the good shepherd. The problem is the spiritual exile of when you've wandered far off from him. Does that make sense? So I think that context is also really important to remember. Which is a great lead in for our gospel. I think so. Yeah, to just say like, okay, well then, how how are we getting in? Um, it is interesting. I've Through I've the heard door. It, I've heard that the 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 sheep gate and the sheepfold. I've heard it a couple of different ways. Okay. Okay. Talk you know, me. I've I've heard it um both in the solo way and in the collective way. Okay. So, so you mean happens, the door and the shepherd kind of a thing. Yeah, the the, you, the the shepherd sets up a gate system so that at night they're in a in a pen, and then you have one shepherd who sits who sleeps at the gate. Okay. And who, it, who either, actually is the gate? That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like he, he sleeps as as the gate that and that right, and correct. F- for the sheep to not get out, but also for yeah. for um, nobody else to get in. And I've heard yeah, it yeah. as the the shepherd um, do, you, is his own flock, right? He, he has one flock, and he's just doing it, and he's doing it solo. I've okay. also heard it as the gatekeeper, as um, the guardian of many people's flocks, so that they can all go home and sleep. Oh, that's interesting. I, I'm actually not familiar with that one. Yeah. So what happens is that you got the you got the sheep gate, and what does he do? He lets the he lets the other shepherds in, and then they say, "Hey, sheepy, sheepy!" And then they hear the his voice, and then they <laughs> fall. They like a dog who recognizes his master's voice comes out of the, and he lets them out with his sheep because they recognize his voice and follow him. Interesting. And so then he does that with anything. Like that. And then, and then if anybody wants to get she like he, if he doesn't recognize, so there's two, there's two problems. So the first problem is, is that if he doesn't let them in, then they're thieves. Okay. Which tells me that there's a, that's a big, that's a pretty big sheep gate system. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if somebody can jump the fence and do it, it's not like a little tiny thing. It's not like a little house. Yeah. Right. Right, so so there so the, you either have people going, or they don't go through the so if they don't go through the gate, or they don't recognize the voice. So there's two problems. So you could say, oh yeah, the, here comes the shepherd. He's a normal shepherd, but he's he's you know he says, hey, come here, sheepy sheepy, and they don't listen to him. Then they're not going to actually leave the pen, leave um, captivity, and go out. And so so you have so you have two ways. So so I, I can see it either either particular way. Okay. So I want to translate that. Yeah, I, I think they're both reasonable, um, and I think they're both right. But I'm I want to translate it now into the symbolism of the scene because there's the reality of shepherds and sheep and kind of how that looks in the shepherding world, right? But then there's there's the reality. So there are if you put it in a societal sense, right? Where is Jesus, right? I think we're we're finishing the discourse on the Feast of Tabernacles and we're about to jump into the part of John's gospel where he f- talks about the Feast of Hanukkah, the dedication of the temple, which all, all, of, uh, all of John's major events are sort of um, shaped around different feasts and festivals that are happening in the Jewish liturgical year. So we're finishing the long cycle on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is when you have the lights lit up and the temple is the city on a hill that is lit and all these different things. Um, but I'm struck by the line, and I think oh, it's right after what we have. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, um, the article is really specific because I think when Jesus says, it's in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, it implies that there are others who are not good shepherds. So there's two things kind of going on, right? There's the thieves and the robbers who are trying to get into the pen. But what Jesus is going to kind of go on to say is that they're not just thieves and robbers. They're actually people who are claiming to be shepherds, but are not good shepherds or are not the shepherds. And the, the, the 
obvious um, tie-in is that at this time, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders have taken to calling themselves shepherds. So by and large, the priests, the Levitical priests were not called shepherds, but the Pharisees did take to having people call them the shepherds because they were like, this is who we are. And the fact that now Jesus is saying these things about false shepherds who are basically thieves and robbers who are trying to get into the sheepfold through a gate that is not him. I mean, he's pointing the fingers directly at the religious leaders of his time, which is really powerful. And there's, I just want to mention three, um, yeah, four Old Testament passages that speak about shepherds that all build on each other. So the first one comes from the book of Numbers, which is sort of the, the first moment that you get really any talk about shepherds in the Bible. And it's when Moses was leading the people and he's like, God, they're like sheep without a shepherd, right? They're like sheep without a shepherd, which is actually, Jesus says this when the Pharisees say that he's in line with Satan, right? He actually quotes Moses and he's like, yeah, the people are again like sheep without a shepherd. So it's kind of set up in the time of Moses. Then we have David, of course, who is this great shepherd. He lays down his life for his flock. Um, but then I think the most important one is these prophecies that come in Ezekiel chapter 34. And Ezekiel was writing, you know, right around the time of the first exile. But do you guys, do you remember this, Father Peter? In, in Ezekiel 34, he basically says, look, the shepherds have failed. The shepherds that I've established in front of my people, you know, these religious leaders, they failed. And the sheep actually became food for the wild beasts. And they allowed the sheep they allowed, you know, wolves and wild animals to come in and eat my people. And that actually then goes on later on in Ezekiel to say, actually, then the shepherds themselves started eating their own sheep, which is this really kind of brutal image that Ezekiel gives. And so God says it's in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, therefore, I am against the shepherds. I am pit myself in opposition to the shepherds. And he says in chapter 34, verse 15 of Ezekiel, I myself will become the shepherd. My shepherds have failed. They let my people get destroyed. They actually turned against their own flocks and started eating them. So I'm going to pit myself against those shepherds and I myself will come and do it myself. I will become the shepherd. So in light of Ezekiel... It's just like that moment when I was unwilling to clean my room when I was younger. And then my mom was like, I'm going to clean your room for you. And you knew it, yes. it was bad. It was so bad. Yes. And exactly right. Talk about a horrible prophecy. You're like, oh, that's bad. Lord's Unless like, you're I'm... the people. Unless you're no, the people who've been way, you know, dealing with the weight of these Pharisees and their, their burdensome oh. laws and the Sadducees and everything else. Well, and then all of a what, sudden... Which is at the core of what this gospel is actually trying to get. I mean, it's like well, Jesus really just goes directly at them and says, you know, he says he, they, they couldn't figure out that he was going directly at, a, at them. Right. Well, the other thing he's saying, this I think people do, I don't know if they put this together or not, but if Ezekiel 34 said point blank, God, God says, I myself will go and be the shepherd, like your mom cleaning your room. And then Jesus shows up in John 10 and says, I am the good shepherd then he is saying in no uncertain terms, I am God. It is a statement to his divinity. If God was supposed to become the shepherd, and he's saying, I am now the shepherd, and he's also formulating it with the I am statement, he basically just said, hey, everybody, I'm God. So this is the thing, man, is that it's, as he lays it out, um, he's using language, and this is really my one insight for the gospel today, is that uh, he's using language 
around um uh, he uses this word. We we get it as, although Jesus used this figure of speech, they did not realize what he was trying to tell them. The The word for figure of speech would normally be parable, okay. parabolos, but it's actually proverb, So, which hmm. is interesting. And uh, But it's a specific word for proverb, which the only other place we really get that is five instances in the book of Sirach. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? And and so I, I was looking at that, and 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 like the the purpose of the book of Sirach wasn't it like the it was like the seminary training manual, wasn't it? Sirach. Yeah. Um. It, it was it was it was like wisdom and parables for for wisdom. It, it was like parables for wisdom and for kind of like that. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, it was it know. was yeah like a series of proverbs that were gathered together probably during right. the uh, Alexandrian period. Right, so it's yeah. it's actually specifically for those who are trying to seek wisdom. Yeah, for sure. Which 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 is to say, he's saying he's using a figure of speech for those who, if they were familiar with Sirach, who are trying to seek wisdom, would understand it. So he's double hitting them by saying you don't seek wisdom. Yeah. Because right. you, you, you what you're trying to do is you're just trying to seek something interior to yourself, rather than being willing to turn around and have metanoia, have um have this this coordination of your will with the intellect of what you know is true. Rather, you've just become willful. And that's why I think that in the Our Father, like the thing that is striking me more than anything is thy will be done. That's like at the core of everything. Thy will be done. It's right. so intense and beautiful. Yeah. Um that I that I that I think that like where we are now in the Good Shepherd, what does it mean? Is he's actually one, he's, he doesn't want to just have us pro forma act on the outside, but be transformed entirely. And, and that's why he is a good shepherd, is, is that we hear his voice. Because that's what God is trying to do, is he's trying to give us his own true voice. That's right. why we have red letter Bibles and stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeedy. Woo! Woo! Well. Friends, uh, it was so good to have uh, a moment to share the scriptures with you in the midst of all of this. And so God bless you all. Indeed, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. And uh, That is, unless the parousia comes. Unless the parousia comes. So until then, stay safe and uh, we love you guys. God bless y'all. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.